You're listening to episode 92 of the Mad Chatters podcast, June 29th, 2016. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Mad Chatters Podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. My name is Derek, and as always, joining me today are my co-hosts, Matthew. Hey. And Jeremy. Whatever happened to Fay Ray? Guys, I feel like it's been so long since I've seen you or heard from you. <laughs> it has been a while. We've been uh, busy. Yeah. All of us. <laughs> I know. And and Jeremy, these are your famous words. I'm going to pull back the curtain a bit. Yes. Because I even did the motions. You can't see me, but I'm pulling back the curtain with my hands. Um, we recorded our last two episodes, like before I even went to Disney World on this last trip, before all of the crazy stuff that's happened in our lives. We just kind of want to get them out of the way so that way we could take some personal time and do things we needed to do. So yeah, the three of us haven't recorded together in some time. A lot happened just shortly after we recorded. Of course, there was the you know the terrible tragedy um, in Orlando, the horrible shooting. Uh, of course, we haven't addressed that because we recorded these before that happened. But you know, our hearts obviously go out to those families, and we're heartbroken over that. And then, if, then just last week, while I was at the parks, this um, the Gator tragedy happened in the Seven Seas Lagoon. Which, honestly, being in Orlando, I was hearing about it. But I didn't realize until I returned that, man, this thing made national news of this child who was attacked by a gator. I actually think it happened while you were on your flight to Orlando, if I remember right. Because I had texted you and you told me you were at the airport and da-da-da. And I said, oh, have a good trip. And then, like, I, I want to say it was just a, an hour or two later that this was all breaking. And I remember I sent you and Matt both the like the screenshot of the tweet that I first saw because it almost felt – I mean, when you first saw it, there was this, like, there was almost this disbelief Mm -hmm. as far as, like, a gator attacked a toddler in the Seven Seas Lagoon. Like, it just didn't feel real. Yeah. And uh, and you almost wanted it to be somebody just playing, like, a sick joke. You know what I mean? Like, you wanted it to come out and be like, oh, somebody was being stupid. That, you know, the toddler ran away or something, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. but unfortunately, you know, it was just a terrible week for Orlando. Between the Pulse shooting, which um, obviously any loss of life anywhere is a tragic thing. But uh, being a Disney podcast that we are, we want to acknowledge that. I think it was last I saw 13 cast members that were victims of that wow. shooting. I hadn't heard that. I'm, I'm not saying 13 passed away, but I think I saw 13 victims, so maybe okay. some of them survived. I'm, I should have looked that up. I, I didn't. But uh, And then, of course, you know, a couple of days later with the, with the Gator thing. So it's just weird, and uh, you know, it, it's a constant reminder that we still live in a very uh, fallen world. And even at places that where we feel safe and in situations where we feel like, you know, we're amongst – Disney magic and uh, the real world is still there. So, yeah. Well, as I said, I was in Orlando, and we're going to talk about that later on the show. Some of the things I experienced there, um, but like seeing tweets of you know friends we've made online who who are locals, 
um, you kind of got the sense that just Orlando is is feeling the heaviness of all this. And of course they are. Oh, my word. So so many tragedies just all in one time. So they're feeling it. But I will say, like, being at the parks as a guest, um, Disney managed to kind of keep that outside the gates. Like, they had their flags flown at half-mast, which I really appreciated. Well, in some of the parks. I guess that memo hadn't gotten around to all the parks. But um, And then one of the nights I was there, they had sort of a vigil... Um, in Magic Kingdom, I wasn't at the park that that park that night, so I wasn't there for it. But they kind of lit candles. Um, but other than that, I mean, if you were a casual guest, Disney Disney did do a good job of, you know, preserving the magic, um, while at the same time honoring those who lost their lives. So I, we went to Magic Kingdom the night of um, the Gator incident, and um, I guess there were a lot of boats, rescue boats, and helicopters and things like that, and they had cut off all boat transportation on that lagoon but by the time we got there at about seven everything was back to normal um so i didn't see a lot of it personally but apparently locals definitely felt it all so anyway our hearts of course go out to all those families To kick off this week's show, we're going to do a bit of armchair imagineering. Hmm. Hmm. Wait a minute. I love that idea. Now, for this segment, we like to kind of throw our own ideas at Disney and say, here's a great idea, or maybe not so great idea. And we're going to have a little fun with that today. And what we're going to talk about is something for the summer. So you think of the seasonal celebrations they have at Disney World. You've got your food and wine festival in the fall. You've got your flower and garden in the spring. Uh, For a few years there, they did the frozen summer fun just at Hollywood Studios. But we're going to come up with a yearly, quote, festival or some sort of event that brings guests to Disney in the summer as if they need that. Um, But it's going to be something that is strictly limited to summertime. So, Jeremy, do you want to give yours first? Yeah. Um, so, my limited summertime magic is uh, going to take place at Hollywood Studios. And it's going to be in the same vein as uh, like a food and wine festival. So, there's going to be booths set up all over. But each booth is going to be themed to a different film, a classic film. And... I would like them to put like actual props from the movie in the booth that you know, like you, maybe um, you can look at while you're ordering or whatever. Uh, so that way, it kind of adds some something extra, a little plus to it, uh, rather than just food based. But then each of the booths, the food is going to be themed, kind of cornyly. Cornyly is that a word? Sure. Very, like being corny. <laughs> um, <laughs> To the uh, actual movie. For instance, I have one prepared. So we're going to have a Gone with the Wind booth. So it's going to be very ornate, you know, in that kind of style, the actual aesthetics of the booth itself. And then, you know, put some props from the movie in there. And then the menu item at that 
booth is going to be the Frankfurter, my dear, I don't give a yam. And so it's going to be uh, 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 it's going to be a hot dog with sweet potato fries. Uh, that's great. <laughs> and uh, so you know it'd be like clever little things like that scattered around. That's funny. I like it. Thank you. I like it. So you said Jess Hollywood Studios. Jess Hollywood Studios. Okay. Um, okay. This is so lame, you guys, but it's it's going to happen. I just feel it. Um, summer chillibration is what I have dubbed it, mm-hmm. and. All across Walt Disney World, they're going to have these little areas where you can go inside because it's, let's face it, it's summer. Like, who wants to stand in a long line at a kiosk when you're dripping sweat? So, like, maybe, you know, in the interventions where they just have that little food court now or maybe in one of the unused areas of the pavilions at World Showcase, just all over property in these little refreshing, cool places, they're going to have popsicle stands themed to that area. So I'm thinking... Like, maybe in Adventureland, you're going to have, made with fresh fruit, of course, like a mango pineapple popsicle or something like that. And then maybe over near the China Pavilion, you'll have a green tea popsicle. Okay? And you get your popsicle, and then you eat it while you're waiting in line to meet a character in their swimming gear. No. (laughs) So, for instance, maybe... In Typhoon Lagoon, you get a pineapple popsicle, and then you meet Stitch in his swimming trunks. <laughs> and then I'm out of ideas because you can't okay. really can't really have Mulan in her bikini. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of things here. First off, I don't think anybody wants to see Winnie the Pooh in a thong. <laughs> and second, Who swims in a thong. I don't know. I think I would. <laughs> you well, think you would swim in a thong or want to meet <laughs> Winnie the Pooh in a thong? Winnie the Pooh, he would swim one of those, like, 20s-style, one-piece. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Well, actually, that would be kind of an improvement from somebody who doesn't usually wear pants to begin with, but... Are we talking about Winnie the Pooh or Matt? I'm so lost. <laughs> one of the same. <laughs> <One of> the <laughs> same. <laughs> Easy now. Um, but this sounds sticky. I'm. You can't give children popsicles and then not have a place for them to wash their hands. Everything at Walt Disney World is sticky. <laughs> I mean, a Mickey bar is sticky. A Dole Whip is sticky. I think, Derek, you just found your catchphrase for the show. <laughs> <laughs> Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Everything at Walt Disney World is sticky. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Oh, uh, well, fine. But summer celebration. Okay, I'm just saying that the cast members, right before they meet the character, should probably have some handy wipes or something there you go yeah yeah because you don't maybe the popsicle is like a hey good job you met the character get out of here otherwise you'd get it all over the character's costume i like it yeah you do not (laughs) i do and i like i like popsicles so (laughs) i like popsicles i like it what was that place when we were in college remember that they had the las paletas yeah, there's this place in Louisville, which I don't live in Louisville anymore, but I see people go there all the time called Steel City Pops. Mm-hmm. And it's apparently like a hipster popsicle place that everybody goes because it's cool. Yeah, they use fresh fruit, real ingredients, things like that. Like cucumber, lime, chili. Mm-hmm. That would be at the Grand Floridian Resort, and you would meet... Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> 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 In her bathing suit. <laughs> in her bikini. Um, yeah. They, when I um, 
lived in Nashville there, I had I used to love getting the cantaloupe flavored ones. Mm. Those were good. I do not like cantaloupe. And then when I lived in Miami, I went to um, I went with my Mexican friends to Mexico Independence Day celebration, and they had like a flavored popsicle, and they had tequila flavored, and I was like, "Oh, let me try that," and it was straight up frozen tequila. <laughs> oh my word! Yeah, that won't be at Disney. All right, Matt, what you got? Mine is based on my love of the water parks and not so much Blizzard Beach. So nothing at Blizzard Beach. Sorry. But I'll let one of y'all imagine you're that one. My idea is for Typhoon Lagoon. And I think that a lot could be made out of a tropical getaway beach party. And I mean like live bands, some live dancing, uh, live dancing, live bands, (laughs) live music dance parties kind of thing and i usually hate these things but in the times in the past when they were really 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 plugging the teen beach movies they would have like the occasional like musical dance kind of thing every once in a while out on the little the little deck with the clock tower i hated that but it did add some energy to the beach area so i think you know a steel drum band a a kind of a Jimmy Buffett rock band style thing that goes on and sings familiar songs and people can dance and have a good time. I think that would be good. I went there last Saturday. Oh, this is why I'm saying this. I went there last Saturday and um, I always love Typhoon Lagoon, mm-hmm. but the people on the beach, you know, I guess they're there to relax and lay around and stuff. But when you're up there, it's just kind of like, eh, you can kind of hear the music. I just think a little life on the beach uh, wouldn't hurt it. And I think that'd be a perfect way to do it. And you could even bring in some of the some kind of the food truck ideas and sell sell Caribbean themed food, Cuban and Jamaican style food trucks and things. I think that would bring a lot of people to that park on the weekends. Perhaps. I like that a lot because I mean the parks do not need more people in the summer to come, no. but the water park, yeah, very nice. Why? Thank you. <laughs> If you've been listening to our show for any amount of time, you know that that music means we're going to do some eating around the world. And this time, we're going to head to the Italy Pavilion in World Showcase and visit Via Napoli Ristorante e Pizzeria. Was that good? That was that was satisfactory. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. I'll take it. Um, mm-hmm. But this is where Matt and I went a couple of weeks ago. It is the mostly pizza restaurant in Italy. And we're going to talk about it. So let's start with the atmosphere. What are your thoughts? It, it lacks an atmosphere. I, there, there's some good things I like about it. It's large. It's tall. The ceilings are very tall. It's open and airy. I really do like the pizza ovens that are named the different uh, volcanoes. And like on the front of them, they have this big kind of carved face like personifying that volcano like a big mustachioed man and the pizza goes in his mouth and you can see the fire burning inside so all that's kind of nice but on the wall is just kind of random i was noticing this when we were there 
kind of like random, like what you would buy at like Walmart or Ross, like like posters that say like Paris and different things. I, I know that doesn't make any sense, but there was one that said Paris. No, I'm totally with you. I didn't know this then, but I can picture exactly what you're saying. And they were in the, the glass cases, just kind of on the wall, spread around. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it really thrives on on personality and atmosphere. No, I, I do love the ovens, but it's funny because as I was as I was there, I was thinking it's exactly like those places that you say you hate where it's like, for instance, the main room in Skipper Canteen. You've talked about how it's all just open and all the tables are just beside each other, like a big mess hall kind of. And that's kind of what this reminds me of. Like, there's no intimacy at all. Yeah, it's 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 loud and boisterous and, and yeah. crowded. Um, but I don't think that necessarily takes away from it. I just feel like if it was something more along the lines of Mama Melrose, which feels like little intimate rooms that are all separated from each other, you know, with booths and dark lighting, I feel like that would be more appropriate for this place. Yes. But anyway. Okay, so we started with an appetizer, and they have they have quite a few appetizers. Um, I, I remember seeing some fried risotto balls and soup and tortellini and things like that. We got the calamari served with spicy tomato sauce it was 14 dollars, and very good i i thought so it needed a little salt but yeah it was uh the the marinara that came with it was really nice and uh fresh and had some like uh, red pepper chili flakes in it mm-hmm. to give it a little spice that was really good it was so good and honestly 14 dollars was reasonable because we there were three of us and we didn't even finish it it was a very large portion Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so they're, they're, the main star is pizza. Like, they have pastas, salads, they have other entrees, but I think the star of the menu is the pizza. And you can get individual size, large, which they say serves two to three, or half meter, which serves, according to them, three to five. Um, we got a large for the three of us. Yep. Uh, and I mean, I definitely think it could have fed four. We left maybe three slices, and they. What were did they say? It fed slices. two to three. Yeah, two to three. Yeah, I would have said three to four on that because yeah. they were they were large. And I think we each had at least two slices. I might have had three. They were big. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, how do you pronounce this again? Do you remember? Was it a fumicata? A fumicata. Okay. A f f u m i c a t a. That was like a fourth grade little chuckle as I was spelling that. Um, <laughs> and it was white. It was a white pizza that had mozzarella and smoked salmon mm-hmm. and arugula and pomodorini, which is tomato, and stracchino, which is another type of cheese. It was $36. And like I said, it easily fed the three of us. So, yep. I mean, before we talk about the food, like price alone for us each to, I mean, Sure, set aside the appetizer for a second. For us each to pay $12 at a table service restaurant with food like this, I mean, I'm sold. That's great. Yep. So, okay, you don't have any thoughts on that? That's great. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was was great. It was good good portions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a really good place. If you have a group and you want to split something, like, go to Via Napoli. You can get a great pizza for a good price. Yeah. Now I must say, my pizza here is the prosciutto and melon pizza, which has shaved prosciutto, which is like an Italian style ham, hammy bacon, really good, and really thin um, shaved slices of of cantaloupe, 
and I, that sounds very weird, but the fruit, you know, mixed with the savory is wonderful. But that wasn't flying at my table. So the the next one on on the menu that really did grab my attention was this one, and this uh, the smoked salmon is uh, can be off putting, you know, if you're thinking fishy. It can be off-putting, but it you know smoked salmon more or less just comes across as well smoky. It's almost like buttery bacon. Yeah, it wasn't fishy at all. No. Yeah. I really liked it. Um, the crust, I think, is the real winner here. It's mm-hmm. like that traditional Italian, kind of chewy, kind of crispy on the outside. Like it's got it's blackened, like in random places yep. around it. So they really perfected that. And I liked this pizza, even, I mean, the smoked salmon, I was a little unsure of. I really enjoyed it. I did. I think if I go again, I'll probably get a more traditional one to kind of see how it stands up against others. So probably instead of a white pizza, I'll do a tomato sauce. I'll probably do something like either the four cheese one or maybe add pepperoni or Italian sausage. Um, that's mm-hmm. not to say I didn't like this. It was just, it was. it's hard to judge how good a pizza is when you're getting toppings that you never eat on pizza. Yeah, I'd like to go back and try something a little more. It's hard to get me to try something traditional, but I would just like to taste their their normal like pepperoni pizza or what have you. Right, right. And that's not to say I didn't enjoy this, and I would definitely go back again. Um, but that's what I would do. Yeah. So, and we didn't order any dessert, but I have to say our server our server was excellent. I don't know why I yeah. remember this. Was his name Simone? I think it was. Like Simon. I don't know. I feel like we had like two or three. Maybe so. But they were they were all excellent, very attentive, but not overly so. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, not not go away attentive. <laughs> right. Please right. leave me alone. Yeah. So, how would you rank this compared to other World Showcase sit downs? I would definitely say that this is a lunch place. If you want a, if you want a nice sit down table service lunch that you can split amongst you know two, three, four, you know even five people, you get that that big meter size pizza um it's casual it's open it's airy and and it, it suits it suited lunch very well i thought if i were looking for a disney experience for dinner you know something along the lines of uh the sun and hell in mexico or uh oh good grief uh beer garden in germany something like that um it would be disappointing to me for that yeah i can see that but but for lunch or maybe even an early dinner, if you're not into the whole experience thing, you just want some good food. The food is fantastic, so um, I, I'd give it four out of three and a half out of five slices. Nice, nice. I'd probably mm-hmm. be right on par with that. It's definitely in the top half of the World Showcase restaurants for me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's not quite on par with those darkly lit, intimate, wow entree type places. Yep. So, but definitely worth a try. I mean, this is no contest, but it's definitely the best pizza on Disney property. So, yeah. there you go. Fianapoli. <laughs> that was my ending stamp. <laughs> Fianapoli. <laughs> Just a reminder. Thank you.
If you're visiting Walt Disney World anytime soon, you might notice quite a few things that were not there the last time you visited. In just the last few weeks, the parks have debuted new rides and nighttime spectaculars and restaurants and all sorts of other experiences. And since I was fortunate enough to be there for many of these new things, I thought I would take the time to just discuss what's new and give my thoughts on these things. And joining us today is someone who's been a guest on the show before. And since he was with me for most of my time there in Walt Disney World, we asked him to come on the show today and provide his take on these new experiences as well. So... I want to give a big mad chatter hello and a welcome back to Aaron Wallace. Hey, Aaron. Hey, everybody. Thank you for having me back on. Of course. Thanks for uh, bearing with me while I dragged you through the Orlando heat from park to park. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that heat was intense. But no, it was a lot of fun. Okay, good. Because, you know, locals, they they like to take it easy in the summer. And I was... (laughs) That's so true. No, it's nice when uh, people can come down and drag me out of the air conditioning to remember that there is uh, sun and daylight in Orlando during the summer. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, Well, let's dive right in because there's a lot of new stuff to talk about. And I think I just want to go in order of um, the parks that had the least amount of new things and then end with the park that introduced the most new things. So believe it or not, that means we're going to be starting in Magic Kingdom. And the big thing that opened on June 17th was the new show in front of Cinderella Castle, Mickey's Royal Friendship Fair. And now, Aaron, I'm actually going to ask you your opinion first, because I think you were you had a closer connection to the previous show than I did, which was Dream Along with Mickey. Yeah, I think I got more enjoyment out of that show than can really be justified. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but I really did enjoy it. And I mean, I, I like the new show, too. Uh, I think that narrative is not its strength. Um, it's really just sort of like a, a showcase or a cavalcade for characters. But um, to the extent that that's what it is, you know, it's fun. And it's big on Tiana, which was my big takeaway from it. Because I love The Princess and the Frog. I love it more and more all the time. And uh, I love that Disneyland gives it so much attention. So it's, So it's nice to see Disney World doing that now. Wait, 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 wait. I'd like to go back and follow up. What do you mean got more enjoyment out of it than Justified? <laughs> well, I mean, okay, it's not, you know, this show's not going to win a Tony, or that show is not going to win a Tony. Anytime. Okay, okay, all right. I, I thought maybe there was a, a good story there, but uh, you just really enjoyed the show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, you're in I, good company with Jeremy, so don't even worry about it. Yeah, no, I, I love the show, too. I just thought... Jeremy, <laughs> too, likes untasteful things. <laughs> I'm no, there's a line of that show that I live for, which is where Donald says, uh, you know, I believe in dreams. And Maleficent says that you believe mm. in dreams is of very little consequence. And I think that's one of the greatest lines in any Disney production ever. So I'm sad that I won't be hearing that like five times a day anymore. That's my ringtone. So go ahead. <laughs> I agree that Tiana, I don't, you didn't work. You didn't say this exactly. But for me, she was the best part of the show. Um, I love. Okay, so I guess we should just like make it known here that there are going to be spoilers in this show. Is that okay with you and with that with you two? I I love spoilers. Okay, <laughs> I, I just want to make sure. Like, I didn't know if you were avoiding any online videos or anything, and I'm about to bust it all wide open. I look for spoiler warnings to read them. Good deal. So Tiana was my favorite part, not only because I love that type of jazzy music that they sing in that movie, but also she's she's not in her typical formal wear you know even in mickey and the magical map over in disneyland she comes out in her big 
gown. But in this, she comes out in like casual, she's got her little flapper dress on and a headband. And I think it's, I think it's like a refreshing take on Tiana. Like remind you that, you know, she's, she's just, a, she's just your home girl, you know, she's not always royalty. Can you say that? <laughs> I was going to say, we're starting to maybe <laughs> cross the line there. I mean, I would say that about any race. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Anyway, but she was my favorite part. And speaking of Mickey and the Magical Map, it kind of reminded me of a very, very lesser version of that in the sense that it's just kind of like transition from one film to another, you know? Is there a Princess Medley? There's not. No. They really miss an opportunity. I mean, there is a, there is a song in which everyone you know takes part, like a new song. But it's not a medley of their like iconic songs. Okay, right. all right, I can work with that. What do you think of the new song? You know, it'll it'll catch on, and that happens with a lot of these you know made for the theme park songs. Like I think the first time you hear them, they obviously aren't you know these like masterful compositions, but they're catchy, right? And they're designed to be catchy, and they're designed to grow on you. So uh, this has happened with almost every parade or stage show theme song. Uh, it has a way of worming its way into your head and your heart. Yes, yes. Well said. Well said. I Aww. still, I still have um, a fondness for the very first daytime parade song that I saw when we went. What was that? Two thousand seven, where it was like, of Disney dreams come true. Oh yeah, yeah. It's so good. Wow, that doesn't ring any bells at all. You know, my favorite one was I think it was like circa two thousand nine, where they. They mixed in that time of your life thing into the daytime parade. Yeah, I it remember that one. the one before that one. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I like that one. I don't know about the one you... I don't know about yours. I it's did the like time the time of your life. Yeah. Love. Yeah, yeah. The one right before was like... It was the one that had like the live actor as Walt. Right. At the very beginning. Okay. That was The Leftovers from 2001. Oh, wow. Okay. Tells you how long that had been there. Yeah, but that's okay. My favorite is Vamos, Vamos. No, that's, nope. that's not true. No. Um, but... Vamos a la basura. Mm. Is that right? That's We Go to the Trash. To the Trash, yeah. Oh, I was my like, what? Gosh. <laughs> Very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the two biggest things for the show were probably Elsa and Anna, of course. Elsa has some tricks up her sleeve with the snow elements in the show. And I think the other big thing was that this show introduced to the U.S. parks, at least, the new Mickey and Minnie characters, which we mentioned when we talked about Shanghai and how the, uh, the, the characters of Mickey and Minnie now have a different look to them in the face, like namely the eyes and the cheeks. And they're a little darker complected. Well, that's what's interesting is the ones here have the same like facial design as the ones in Shanghai, but they did not look to have the slightly darker complexion, at least to like my eyes in person. I don't know how much of that is, you know, we're looking at photographs from from Shanghai, but to me, it didn't look like we had the darker complexion here. That's what I said too. And you never can tell with pictures because it could have just been a dark place that they were taking the pictures in. But yeah, to me, it looked like they were not any darker than the old characters. I gotta say, I love them. I think they look really, really great. Especially when I go back and look at the older pictures now, I, I really think these are an improvement. They are, they look a little more, they just look truer to the animated form. Yeah. I mean, that's my yeah. opinion, and, I, and I've seen several opinions that don't agree with that, but 
Well, there are people that are just attached to the theme park Mickey Mouse, which, as we said before, is not, it has not perpetually been the same for whatever right. 60 years <laughs> by any means. Yeah. Now, yeah. are these, are these um, characters, are they all articulate, articulated? Is that the right word? Yeah. And yes, they are. Their eyes blink and. Okay. And do the visitors that show up, are they all face characters or are they? They're face characters and they, they lip sync. So like the actual okay. track of the song plays. Like I think they do, I have a dream and, or I've got a dream or whatever it is and let it go, of course. Okay, so there's no new articulated characters. No. Okay. No, but they are in new costumes. New costumes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I would, I would like to see more of the characters who are not face characters become articulated. I, you know, right now it's just like what, Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, Donald, Olaf, and Timon over at Festival of the Lion King. Well, now Daisy is in this one. I don't know if that's new or not. Oh yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember Daisy being articulated before. I don't either. Now that you say that, she might be new. And I really like Daisy. I think she's an underrated character. Her they have life. articulated giraffe over at Animal Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's reticulated. Sorry. Uh, but it's uh, zoology humor. Anyway, but overall <laughs> thoughts. It's it's a fun show. I I think I probably enjoyed it more than Dream Along with Mickey, but I only saw that a handful of times, so I can't be entirely sure. But I think it's a, a really good show. I think people who love the movies of the 2010s, like me, are going to be excited to see these princesses come out on stage and and do their dancing and singing. So good stuff. Um, also, in Magic Kingdom, this isn't new, but we did eat at Skipper Canteen again, and I gotta say, I'm falling in love with that place. The more I yeah. go, yeah, the atmosphere, the service was much quirkier this time, which I haven't decide, decided yet if that was good or bad. Uh, yeah. But we got this. We both got the uh, Skip's mac and cheese, which has like bechamel and the the spiced beef, almost like a lasagna kind of. Um, good stuff. So. Yeah, it was really good, and this was my first time eating there. And I fell in love with everything about it too. And yeah, I'm not one to sort of warm up to like, <laughs> you know, the in-character interaction with waiters. Like it's a little too much for me at 50s primetime cafe sometimes. So, mm -hmm. But I was not bothered at all by, you know, the, the quirkiness of the staff at uh, Skipper Canteen. So it's cool. Good. Yeah, I think she was just enough. Like I think she knew where the line was and didn't go past it. Yeah. Yeah. And tell them the best part. Oh, I think I know. Oh, oh, yes. I okay. was like, bury the lead. Come on. I know. I totally forgot about this. Okay. So <laughs> when I first saw pictures of this place, um, you know, you get a picture of the big old main mess hall type room and then a couple pictures of the smaller rooms. But then every blog I saw had this picture of this one booth that was lined with cases of butterflies. It's like a circular booth. And it seemed like that was the only one like it. And sure enough, when we visited last time, we saw the booth and there's only one. And as we were waiting to be seated, the waiter came over, who, by the way, looked and sounded exactly like Christoph Waltz, but that's a different story. <laughs> he, asked, he really did. He really did. He asked if we were afraid of butterflies. And I, in my head, I was like, shut up. Are you for real? <laughs> and then we both said no. And then sure enough, he, he said, this is the best seat in the house. And he led us straight to the butterfly booth. And for a few seconds, like I kind of lost my mind a little bit and just absorbed it all because it was wonderful. But what if it was Christoph Waltz and he was like <sighs> doing some method acting for his new role? 
Maybe. In the Jungle Cruise movie. I'm going to be playing a Nazi in a <laughs> restaurant. He's not Borat. <laughs> a Nazi? Doesn't oh that's that was my he always plays Nazis in every role that he's in like the bad guy yeah I think it's because he's he's German and it's a typecast thing but and I would just like to apologize to all our German listeners for my <laughs> terrible accent there <laughs> all of them, all of them. <laughs> okay well I think that was it for Magic Kingdom really everything else um, is about the same as the last time I went um, but let's move over to Hollywood Studios. Um, one thing I want to briefly talk about is they've opened these new food booths all around Echo Lake called Echo Lake Eats. And I guess, you know, since so much of that park is under construction, they're just trying to give you more options of things to eat, obviously. And I was so sad because the one night I really wanted waffles from there, it was what, like 730 maybe? Yeah. And all of them were already closed. And I'm like, what? what's the point of having these? It was strange. Um, I think it was called the Waff, something about Waffle Hall of Fame or something. Anyway, all of them were closed, so that was a bummer. Um, But we saw some more of those interactive elements that we've been talking about. So they have your name pop up on It's a Small World and Expedition Everest and all sorts of attractions. And this time we were waiting for Rock and Roller Coaster and in the room with Jeremy's favorite door with the the loud beads, (laughs) they have those signs that used to be like, you know, Jonas Brothers or whatever. And now it'll say, oh gosh, I can't remember what it said, but basically you are the main attraction. And so it had Derek up there. Um, I think he even said Nashville, something from Nashville. Yeah. Um, and I was the headliner, I guess, in this concert. So, um, and it looked good. Like it, it looked very seamless in that room. Can yeah. we just divert right here for just a second since you brought up Rock and Roller Coaster and chase a little rabbit just to get some feedback? Do it. Um, so. I think you all have seen on the Twitter that um, there's this rumor that Aerosmith's disappearing from the attraction. Have you have you all seen this? Yeah, well, well, I, seven years running. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, I think that rumor gets bandied about often. I, I think it has sort of picked back up in the last week because Steven Tyler essentially confirmed that Aerosmith is breaking up, not for the first time. Uh, yes, they'll be going on their farewell tour next year, and so I think this has just got people talking about it again. But I mean, there's no reason that like Aerosmith breaking up would not you know automatically trigger a retheming of the attraction yeah i don't think that matters but i but i've saw um somebody was it's on one of these message boards you know whatever but somebody apparently rode the attraction the last night you know last ride of the night and the managers were there and asked if they wouldn't mind riding it with um oh that's right. different music and it ended up being um, Powerline from a Goofy movie that was playing <laughs> while they were riding. Yeah, and I forgot about this. Yeah, but but it sounded really strange to me. But have you noticed recently they've really, like the Disney company, like the, the they've kind of started to like dive into a Goofy movie a lot on social media. Have you noticed that? Um, just today, they... Did you see this picture they released? They, yes. They do those Disney doodles, and it showed the Goofy Movie characters in Astro Orbiter, and then in the center was Powerline kind of performing a concert. And on Father's Day, which I sent the video to Derek, um, Goofy and Max on one of the Disney cruise ships like did the whole dance, including the perfect cast, to um, stand out above the crowd, you know, what, shout out loud, whatever that song is. Yeah, and, stand out. Um, so I just feel like they're really like it just seems weird to me that all of a sudden they're really like doing a lot of goofy movie related things, and then this rumor, you know, and this person said they wrote it with 
power line music playing. I, I just thought it was interesting. This yeah. is so weird that you talk about this because I swear just yesterday I downloaded this soundtrack because I also saw the Aerosmith rumor. And then online, I kind of joked about a Powerline concert coming to Tomorrowland. And then I downloaded the soundtrack and then that doodle today. So you're absolutely right. There's something, a resurgence is coming. Isn't it so random too? Like, I don't know why all of a sudden this would be happening. But last year at the D23 Expo, there was like an extended celebration of a Goofy movie. Like it was sort of a a secondary theme throughout the whole Expo. And then there were even events for it. And they had some of the cast there. Uh, Because it was the 20th anniversary, but still very odd. I mean, maybe Disney is like, maybe they saw this in their thought. Well, you know, in their minds, their thought is we pay royalties to Aerosmith or whatever to use their brand, but here's something that people like. And there seems to be a greater appreciation for it than maybe they realized. And they're like, well, we can use our own music and, uh, you know, please the fanboys in a sense. Yeah. Listen, I love those two Powerline tracks. I mean, everybody except Matt, who hates that movie for whatever reason. But I don't hate it. It just <laughs> brings up awkward questions for a Disney movie. Okay. Well, yeah, I would totally be okay with that. But I know, you know, I also heard that they're taking out Country Bear Jamboree and putting in Lester's Possum Park. So shut up, you <laughs> All right, go great. ahead, though. You, you're, you were the headliner at Rock and Roller Coaster. Yeah, okay, well, we're doing with Rock and Roller Coaster. Okay, so I wanted to share some exciting news, and I tweeted this, but Toy Story Mania now has that third track, which I haven't really heard a lot about. Like, I saw, okay, it's open. Um, so this trip, it was very, very hot one day, like, going up to 100, and it was super humid, and I was like, I just need some air. And I saw that it was a 40-minute wait, and you all know I do not love that attraction, so it had to have been hot. For me to just say, that's fine, 40 minutes, I'll do standby, it's okay, it'll give me time to cool off. So I get in line, and the first thing I notice is that the potato head is gone. So that's where they put the third track. Like, they kind of moved in that wall where he used to be, and now it's just a wall. Okay. And then, you know, when you get your glasses and you go straight, and then you have to climb some stairs? Mm -hmm. Well, when you get your glasses, the third track is to the left. So they sent me down a hallway, and I never went up the stairs. And so I go down the hallway to the left, and I, I ride the third track, and I'm on in 13 minutes. By the, from the time I enter the queue until I board, it was only 13 minutes. So wow. I'm here to tell you that the third track works. Yeah, but isn't that, isn't like the place that you go, isn't that queue just, it's very disappointing, isn't it? What do you mean? Of course, that whole queue is terrible. There's an 11 second rant waiting on Toy Story Mania's queue. It is so thrown together like a bad VBS. But that that third track, the pictures I saw of people going down, it looks like they're going down like a, a hospital hallway. Very brightly colored hospital hallway, yeah. yeah. I can see that. Strange. Now, the loading zone is terrific, but... Yeah, I mean, kinda. But I agree about the queue, because I was trying to take a lot of pictures while I was there, and I kept wanting to take pictures of the queue, but I'm like, this all just looks kinda cheap. I don't want pictures of this. This is cheap. This is terrible. Yeah. But anyway, third track, it did wonders, and I'll probably ride that attraction more often now. It sounded like the only thing that Toy Story Midway Mania is good for was keeping you out of the heat, and it didn't even do that. That's true. 13 minutes. No, it was enough. It was enough. For Derek, that's about all it's good for, yes. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Because, of course. Hey, listen, I got the high score in my car, though. I mean... By yourself? No. 
I was not. There was an older gentleman <laughs> beside me, but I kicked his tail. You're like, excuse me, can I be seated next to the man with the oxygen tank? <laughs> you think you're exaggerating, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, so the last thing for Hollywood Studios was, was the biggest, and this was Star Wars, a galactic spectacular. We were there opening night. It promised big things, you know, fireworks and pyrotechnics and projections on not just the great or the Chinese theater, but also the two buildings on either side. So, like, I was excited for this. Okay. Um, it started at, I want to say, 9.15. And a little before 8, I noticed that a lot of people were already kind of get. Let me just say that this weekend, because so many things were opening... I saw Disney bloggers everywhere I turned. Like, faces I recognized, you know? Oh, yeah. Because everybody wanted to be there and report on it opening day. Um, And I think most of the people who were lined up a little before 8 were those bloggers and photographers and videographers and all sorts of things like that. But still, like, I think this is one of those shows that you're going to have to at least be mindful of the time and not get there right when it starts. Because you want a good view of the buildings. And apparently the, like, back half of Hollywood Boulevard offers an almost entirely obstructed view. Because they've relocated where they launched the fireworks from, right? So it now happens, like, off-site, outside of the park, across the street. And so they're at an angle. So if you're facing Great Movie Ride, the fireworks now burst to your right. Uh, And if you are in the back half of Hollywood Boulevard, those buildings along Hollywood Boulevard are sort of blocking your view. And then the other part of this show is the the projection element onto the buildings but you have to be sort of up front to see those so you're doing a lot of standing for almost nothing uh, in the back half yeah i think there's probably a pretty small rectangle that gives you perfect viewing if i were to guess i mean relatively speaking when you think of magic kingdom you can be anywhere from the train station to the hub and be totally fine but um We were... Okay, Matt, do you remember the two towers they've put up kind of really quickly (laughs) that have the projectors in them? Mm -hmm. We were right between those, and I feel like it really couldn't have gotten much better than where we were. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the show. So my... I'll I'll start with the negative first. Um, It promised fireworks, and there really weren't that many fireworks. Like, if I'm seeing a nighttime spectacular, I want a good even mix of projections and fireworks. It was mostly projections. I was, I think that might be sort of the new direction because apparently that's what's happening with Shanghai too. It's a lot more projection based. I mean, there are pyrotechnics and, and bursts, but not nearly as many. So I wonder if that is sort of the new cheaper route for nighttime entertainment going forward. Well, and I'll give it to them. Like they've really perfected the projection technology. I mean, you've seen it in Celebrate the Magic over at Magic Kingdom, and I think even more so here, they've really made you forget that you're looking at a building. It looks like you're looking at a movie screen. Yeah, it's a big step up. And the same thing with, which we'll get to, I guess, Animal Kingdom, but projection mapping in general, I think, has really evolved in just a few years. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and they've really showcased it well here. Um, So I think if I saw it again and I expected that, I would be even more blown away than I was because some of these moments were really cool. There's a, I won't spoil it, but there's a really big moment with a lightsaber where everyone just kind of said, wow, like it was really neat. 
Um, and there there are cool things where like the Millennium Falcon Falcon looks like it's flying at you, and it's shooting lasers, and like from the building come these laser lights like directed kind of towards you, and it looks like it's actually coming from the ship. It's not and a laser; it's a little light bulb that blinks. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, so they they do a good job. I just and I, and I should say that I've noticed online that since I saw it that first night, they've added pyrotechnics on top of the theater, like giant flames of fire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm talking enormous, and they were not there when I saw it, so I'm sure that improved things. Um. I, it sounds like I'm being negative on it, and I guess I am, but I really did enjoy it a lot. I just, I didn't think it was going to be so heavy. Like, it just felt like movie clips. And granted, they were great, and they looked really good on these three buildings. But I'm like, man, I stood for a long time <laughs> to see clips of movies I've already seen. Um, but whenever they did lights or lasers or fireworks or the music, you know, combined with the music, it really had a lot of wow moments. So I would definitely recommend seeing it if you're in Hollywood Studios. Yeah, for me, the the big takeaway was just, wow, also. I mean, I, I think I would agree with a lot of the criticisms, particularly the lack of bursts. But like more than anything, you walk away saying, wow. And, and it's hard to argue with that. You know, if, if you could sort of pick things apart, but you walked away very impressed. Uh, that, you know, and that's what first time guests make up the majority of the, of the audience. So it's it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, I think my favorite moment was just Darth Vader. Like that's all it was. But he's he like he's from like ground are his feet, and his head is at the very top of the theater. So it's, it's this very intimidating figure, and you know the music gets all imperial marchy, and he kind of turns <laughs> around, and it's very intimidating that moment. So I thought, like I said, some wow moments, and that was one of them. It is, and Kylo Ren also very intimidating. I think mm-hmm. he's a great character. Uh, so yeah. And then there's that, that <laughs> I don't know his name, but we talked about this, the little, the demon guy, he looks like a little red devil. I, I don't know what Star Wars character that is, but he Darth has this. Maul? No, 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 no. It, it wasn't Darth Maul. I, yeah. He's just I the random know. guy from the cantina. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. He just, he has this moment uh, and it's very unsettling. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, it almost like took you out of the moment because it was like, huh, what's this guy doing? Uh, <laughs> speaking of Kylo Ren, uh, Derek. Did you, was that your was that the personal account or the my chatters account? <laughs> it was my personal account. He has the best picture of him and Kylo Ren, like three inches from oh, each yeah. other's face. Just like it, I think Kylo was supposed to be like intimidating, and Derek was just kind of standing there, trying not to laugh. But it, in the moment that when you glance at the picture, it almost looks like they are longingly looking into each other's eyes <laughs> and about to break into the most romantic power ballad you have ever heard. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Like when I when I my face is supposed to be like, come at me, what, give me the best you got. But when Jeremy texted me that, I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. It looks like we're about to just. I don't even want to say. But. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like 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 almost paradise should be playing in the background as you two just stare at each other. Uh, anyway, I'm yeah. Well, that is a rattling beat and greet with Kylo Ren. Like it is. I, mean, I, I find all meet and greets awkward, but that one in particular, it's it's so intense. And and I mean, obviously, he's just a mask, and he's like screaming in your face. See, that's the thing. He can speak with his voice, and it's so painfully awkward. <laughs> I'm like, can we take the picture? He can speak with his voice. <laughs> I did. But I meant like Kylo Ren's voice. Yeah. Not like, you know, Andrew from Kentucky. Like, hey, get out of my launch base. 
That's not offensive. <laughs> I love Kentucky. I'll allow it. Okay. Okay, let's move on from Hollywood Studios. Okay, so I want to take a break from the parks and go to Disney Springs, because we've kind of talked about Town Center, and we mentioned how from the pictures it kind of looks like an Orlando outlet. I think that's what you said, Matt. And I'm here to tell you that in person, it still looks like an Orlando outlet, but a very, very nice one. <laughs> like, very clean. Yeah, no doubt it's clean and Disney-fied on that, in that sense. Yeah. And isn't the point, it, like, it's supposed to be in a Florida town, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's supposed to be kind of a more old, old Florida, but, you know. Yeah, that's true. But the springs themselves are beautiful, and, and I really like this new area of Disney Springs, and I really like the direction they're going. Um, Were you there at night? You know, I never was, no. I'm curious as to whether they illuminate the springs at night. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Hmm. I have been there at night, and I don't even recall. Oh. <laughs> so I guess it's not all that standout if they do. I'm but a sucker I, for lights and water. Yeah, I hear you. I follow this girl on Twitter who... Uh, <laughs> posts pictures side by side of the actual Orlando outlets and Disney Springs, like little isolated features from each. And then she plays a game with her followers. You have to guess which one is Disney Springs and which one is the outlet. (laughs) And And it can be very difficult. Although like nine times out of 10, it's whichever one just looks nicer is Disney's. So to their credit, they've got that going for them. Well, for now, I mean, it's like three weeks old, so you can say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they've got a lot of new restaurants over there. In fact, one just opened this week that I really had wished I, I, I wished had been open when I was there because I love Mexican food, and it's called Frontera Cocina. Um, it is open now, but it wasn't at the time. But the two places I tried were Deluxe Burger and Amaret's Patisserie. And let me just tell you that Deluxe Burger... I mean, hands down, the best burger I've had, which I don't really get into the whole burger game. I'm kind of like, eh, burger's a burger. But, man, I should have written down what what I, what I it was called. Something Southern, Southern something burger. You tweeted a picture, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing it, yeah. Oh, my word, Jeremy. Now, I will say, this is a quick service restaurant, and after I ordered, it took about, I, w- I want to say, 10 to 15 minutes before it was ready. And, and also... I think my burger was twelve ninety nine, and it, it was just the burger. Like you had to order fries on top of that. Oh wow! So oh. it's not exactly like your typical Hollywood Studios quick service pricing, but it's also so much better. Like I would absolutely pay thirteen fifty again to get this burger. It had bacon and a fried green tomato and lettuce and pimento cheese. Right? Did you say that? Yeah, pimento cheese. That's right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Love pimento cheese. Uh, Matt, you would love this thing. And and the, the thing was, I couldn't even decide which one I wanted because all I think there were only four or five burgers, but they all sounded so good. And then when I left, someone told me I should have gotten the fries because they do something really special with the fries and they're really amazing or something. I don't know. I but, bet they do. <laughs> I mean, they better. They're like five dollars. Yeah. But anyway, this burger, like the paper at the end was soaked with grease. Oh, no. I don't even care. You guys, this this thing, like I still dream about it. It was, so, I mean, for a quick service, it, it felt like something you'd get at a really nice table table service. Are place. they on the Disney dining plan? Uh, I, I would think so because it's Disney owned and operated. Okay. I think that's what the D stands for. I might have just made that up. 
Because <laughs> it's like D hyphen. It's a pretty safe bet. If you're in Disney World and vowels have been dropped and the letter <laughs> is a D, okay, there's a good chance it's Disney World enough. Okay, we'll just go with it. Um, but then right after that, and I went to this place twice, but it's it's the new patisserie. Is it like a bakery? I don't really know what category it falls under. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, it's a patisserie, right? But yeah, I mean, essentially a bakery. Yeah. Okay, so your friend slash our friend, Ruben, works at this place. And explain yeah. what, what he told you about the creator's vision of this yeah. place. <laughs> I won't explain it well, but I think the idea is essentially they want to you know, educate the sort of you know, average tourist who shows up and maybe has just your most basic dessert in mind. And they can order something that maybe approximates that, but is uh, made with like, it takes like a multi-note approach to the dessert instead. So everything there is uh, a little more elegant, uh, a little more artfully designed, uh, has more going on in it than you would find otherwise. An example is, and I think, Derek, this is the thing you got the first day when I wasn't with you, the Reflections of Memphis, so-called, because it kind of approximates like an Elvis-type dessert, which you find a lot of places, but this is uh, like a multi-layered, more intricate approach. It is amazing. Mm, So good. It was what, like a peanut butter mousse-type texture, and then it had some banana in the middle, and then chocolate shavings on top, and like bacon crumbles yeah, like a crouton almost, uh, two croutons stuck to the side. Yeah, really, and I mean, it's beautiful to look at. And then as you dive in, I mean, it, it, what I think is so cool about this is I can see even the average guest who has you know absolutely no you know, background in the culinary arts whatsoever going, ordering one of these things, and then having a conversation in which they sound like food connoisseurs being like, you know, I detect a taste of this and that, just because it's, it's designed that way. And to me, it almost comes across as like this, Epcotian experience, which is a word I made up just now, but you <laughs> like know, like, it. <laughs> like it's it's educating people in a way that is pleasurable to them. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the cast members are wonderful at this place. They will help you with anything. I mean, the woman who who welcomed us inside was telling us about every dessert. I mean, as long as we are interested, she kept talking. Like this one has this in it and this in it, and this is how we make it. And if you notice our chef over here, he's rolling out yada yada. You guys, we, we were basically hanging out with this cast member. Like, she, spent, <laughs> she spent so long with us. She really did. And I was like, I just kind of want s- something sweet. But that's okay. <laughs> and I'm, like, yeah. I'm going to submit Epcotian to the dictionary for a new word. <laughs> and I like the definition, educating people in a way that is pleasurable to them. <laughs> yeah. so. Yes. It's perfect. It's perfect. Great. This is a milestone episode of The Match. Mm. Mm. I think that's going to be on my Tinder profile as well. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so anyway, I got, so I got the, what was it called? Reflections of Memphis. And then we both got Sunset Tokyo Bay, I want to say. So Sunrise Sunrise, Sunrise Tokyo Bay. You guys, this thing was unlike anything I've had before, but it was delicious. It was like green tea chiffon cake. Mm. Oh yeah. And it had, yeah, the mocha, what is it called? Matcha? Matcha matcha powder? powder. Yeah, matcha. Matcha powder. And it had like some lemon curd icing. And it had like a chocolate shaving or a chocolate straw on top. This thing. Oh, it had a mandarin orange that they like soak mm-hmm. in some sort of marinade thing. Oh, man. So good. But I, I do have to say each dessert was $8. 
So like at a place where you go up to a counter and they pull out the, the dessert from underneath, I didn't really expect it to be that much. But once I ate it, it felt like the quality of something you get. It just felt right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it felt right. But also it was on par, if not better than table service quality desserts. And you're going to pay that much easily. Yeah, I would say like signature, signature table service restaurant desserts. And you'll probably pay $15 at a place like that. Right. And they are small. Like each dessert is small. And you, you can see it in the in the case before you order it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would rather spend $8 on like a really satisfying, high quality dessert where I'm like, man, that was good. Mm. As opposed to like five or six for something out of the, you know, ice cream cart. Totally. And you say small, but it was more than enough. I mean, yeah. these things are handcrafted and they've got, they pack a lot of punch. For so. sure. And the cool thing is it's right by World of Disney, which I think, I would think would be prime location for any place in Disney Springs. Because that's a, you know, heavily populated store. Yeah. And it, it seems to be doing well too. And I mean, I don't think I have come across a bad review of this place yet. On Twitter, the buzz is very positive uh, and it's just a cool atmosphere too it's, it's very sort of artfully designed inside uh, and you know they've got like a whole story a backstory for the restaurant and all the cast members are in interacting with you while they're making the desserts in front of you so it's yeah, cool it, I recommend it for sure um, so I think that's we, we did see a movie I went to the AMC Fork and Screen for the first time at Disney Springs where you know you have a menu and you can call your waiter up while you watch the movie um, so that was kind of a cool experience yeah you, you thought it was sort of distracting right the no i was afraid it was going to be and it really wasn't at all okay yeah and what did you see we saw finding dory oh yeah you hated it i remember no no i i actually liked it it's just they didn't need to make it i mean it rehashed so (laughs) many of the same elements as finding nemo yeah, it's it, it hits on all those same points. Yeah, Wasn't that uh, Pixar's thing for like 10 years before people got tired of it? What? I think that's kind of their shtick, isn't it? Just kind of rehashing... Like the buddy yeah. comedy? Buddy and nostalgia and stuff. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing not to like. I just feel like... Well... It, it, okay, there were a few things not to like. <laughs> but like, it, it didn't... It didn't develop the characters or even the story at all. I I, I didn't feel like it's. I sweet. feel like Becky needs her own spinoff movie mm. and just follow her. As long as that's direct to video, I'll allow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I want a love story between Becky and the special ed. Um, what is that thing again? Walrus or whatever that uh, was. Yeah, the seals. Yeah. See, yeah. that's the thing. Like, even the seals were basically just rehashing the seagulls from the first movie. That's a great point. So it's like, it's like, hey, this really worked in the first film. Let's just do it again, but kind of tweak it a little bit. Well, yeah. and the thing that bothers me is it's like, why is it that in the imagination of Pixar, the only kind of adventure that these particular characters can have is an adventure in which, like, one is trying to find the other? You know, like, these are supposed to be, like, wholly rounded like real life beings in the world right so i mean they should be able to have any number of different types of adventures or stories unfold in their oceanic universe and so to just have like the exact same kind of adventure to me seems very unimaginative and sort of like uh, emblematic of the problem of, of hollywood sequels in general particularly when you consider that this is the studio that gave us toy story 3 
mm-hmm. which it, you know sets a bar not just for animated sequels but for like all sequels. It's one of the great films of all time, and you know if they can make that kind of sequel for Toy Story, why don't we expect that kind of sequel for Finding Nemo? And I think most people agree, like it's not a it's not a Toy Story three caliber sequel, right? Oh, absolutely. And Matt, you said that about rehashing being their thing, but even Cars two was completely different from Cars. I mean, it sucked, but like you can't you can't. Uh, you can't say it was just rehashing cars because it really wasn't at all. But with this, I feel like they they did rehash a lot. But anyway, well, what did you love about it, Jeremy? I um, I don't know. I well, I just love Finding Nemo in general. You know, I, I that's my favorite Pixar film, and so I do and love the characters. I thought it was very witty. I thought they um, it was very witty in a way, though. I will I will give you this. It was witty in a way that I feel was very. Um, I don't know how the humor is going to stand up hmm. in as far as time. I don't think it was timeless humor. I think it was very relevant humor. Do they say things like true and same? <laughs> they said YOLO. And, I can't uh, even. No, that's I'm already just, old. I'm just kidding. They did not say that. <laughs> um, Do you mean like the Sigourney Weaver stick? Oh, the, I thought the Shigorni Weaver stick was hilarious. Yeah, yeah I, I like that genius. Too. And I don't know. I just really I, I liked exploring that side of Dory. I thought it was she was very. Um, they made that character who, in the first movie, is just kind of a one-off joke in a sense. Um, and and she they made her very vulnerable. And and I think that was difficult to do with that character. I definitely fell in love with Baby Dory. I mean, oh my she's word! Adorable. Adorable. Uh, <laughs> Do you remember in the first? Why aren't they hiring you at Pixar to write the script? <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, no. Do you remember in the first movie though, where she Dory has that moment where she tells Marlon, you know, when when I look at you, I'm home, kind of a thing. And so I think that kind of cracked the door there. That you know, they really were able to explore. That sadness. That that. Oh my gosh! Scary. When you said that, I just got goosebumps down my arm because I forgot about that line, and it's so good. Yeah. So yeah. that is good. And I will say, whenever I watch Finding Nemo again, I think that like my understanding of Dory will be like expanded and informed by having seen Finding Dory. So I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's worthwhile. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I think, and this is going way deeper than it probably should be or was intended to be. Is that a pun? <laughs> <laughs> stop (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i'm done i'm done um but like i think in the real world now outside of films there are those kind of like goofy people that you run into and i think it's very easy to forget that just because somebody has some quirkiness to them or they're always seem to be positive or whatever that doesn't mean that there's nothing underneath the surface Mm. does that make sense and so I feel like, you know, that's why you know, even like the characters that you just kind of laugh at because they're goofy, like Becky, you know, but I've, I really feel like, well, if they can make Dory vulnerable, they could make that character vulnerable and find out why she's that way. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. So everybody has a story. Yes. Sure. Yeah. In fact, Aaron showed me a tweet that said something about this, you know, one of the most important movies of the year. And we were both like, what? Why is it important? But yeah, I mean, I think I think that's what they were saying was. I mean, exactly everything you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, you know, walk, take a few steps in someone else's shoes before you, you think you have them all figured out. Yeah, the Bible and- says that people's <laughs> is people's. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, yeah. I have to ask you about one scene that kind of happens near the beginning, so kind of kind of a spoiler, but not really. When 
when Dory gets, now I don't even remember, she, she gets hit by something and she like falls to the ocean floor and all the kids gather around and they say, is she dead? And Ray says, no, she's not dead. And they all go, aww. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> that is so morbid. But that's just children, you know? Like, children are, are evil. So there you go. I guess. I mean, I, I don't guess they're evil. I guess that's where I guess that's the joke they were making. I but, guess they're evil. <laughs> but that I was like, me. I, I think I said out loud, "What?" <laughs> it reminds me. There's a great Golden Girls episode where yes. Rose starts dating Mister um, Wonderful. Yeah, no. is it Mister Wonderful? Mister Terrific. Well, Anyways, he's like he's like a superhero, like a children's superhero. Yeah, like a children's superhero. Yeah. And he gets he ends up getting fired because Dorothy gets hired on the show and he gets fired and it's a big deal. And so they think he's gonna commit su- commit suicide because he's out on the ledge. And um, so people gather around to like see, you know, because obviously somebody's on the ledge of a building. And Rose is trying to talk him off the ledge, and she's like, "Look, all your fans are down there cheering for you." And they uh, they just like pan out, but you like to. The characters you don't see the crowd, but you hear the crowd in the background go, "Jump, jump, jump!" <laughs> oh, oh, okay, so they're obviously Golden Girls fans. <laughs> yes, people who wrote this movie. <laughs> Anyways, um, okay, so let's move on to Animal Kingdom. Of all the things I wanted to see, I was most excited about Animal Kingdom because they've opened up all these nighttime experiences. So, I'll start with the two parties they have going on. The first one is Discovery Island Carnival. This is, they, there are some guys like on stilts, and it's the little, there's that little stage in Discovery Island. I think it's kind of across from Pizza Fari. Do you know what I'm talking about, Matt? Sometimes they have a big harp, harpist. I mean, the guy is not big. The harp <laughs> yeah. is really big. I know, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and they, so they had a live band, and these guys on stilts were just encouraging like the kids to come out and dance. And then over in Harambe, they have the Harambe Wildlife Party. And it's the same band that we saw, but at night. And so they've got the the live singer and a couple dancers and a keyboardist and electric guitar. And they play kind of like, I mean, I want to say they're African type songs. I don't really know. I like these things. I mean, I, I approach them and I can't help but dance because there's just a lot of energy coming out of them. I can attest that Derek did dance. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, Are we talking about like biting the bottom lip, moving your hands, or like actual much, yeah. dancing? I did the worm. Uh, there was some then, full body movement. Oh, I see. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but I mean, it's. I don't know if there's really enough to love it or hate it. But it does add a nice, you always say kinetic energy. And that's what, exactly what it does. It adds kinetic energy. It adds... Totally. And the music's good. It's got like a, it's, it's vibing, you know? It really is, yeah. yeah. It's funny though, because in the day it was hopping, but then when we went back for our safari fast pass at maybe 9.30 or 10, I mean, there was no one back there. Like the band and the dancers were giving it their all and there were like three people just like grooving along to the music or just standing there staring. <laughs> but I like it. Yeah, and you know, I detest Disney dance parties generally and I've seen a lot of people lump these two things in with the dance parties but I mean these are totally different right I mean they're oh, playing yeah. like live music first of all original live music yeah they're not DJing like Black Eyed Peas and Taylor Swift which by the way does now happen in Dino Land USA oh, on that truck yeah we heard a this, little bit of that right 
Yeah, we did. We did. This, this reminds me. Go go to YouTube and Google George W. Bush dancing in Africa, and that's what all these <laughs> white people look like dancing at this party. Oh no. Um, the dancers who actually are cast members, they're wonderful. It's the same girl I saw back in April, but she just smiles and she really, uh, I don't know, like just like looking at her, I can't help but smile because she really gets into it and she wants everyone to come join her. And anyway, um, okay, but let's get to the nighttime show. So as you know, Rippers of Light was supposed to open in April when I was there and it didn't because they're having some issues apparently. And so they've instead opened the Jungle Book Alive with Magic. And... Is it really bad? It's not. It's really not. Like, I expected this thing to be terrible just based on reviews. And there are de- <laughs> there are definitely elements that are like, what? <laughs> what what's happening? Um, I honestly would have been totally okay if they had cut out all the jungle book elements and kept everything else. Well, no, I say that, but they had some live singers singing a few Jungle Book songs. And that, I think, is great. But as far as, like, they spray the water, kind of like in Fantasmic, and they project some scenes from the movie onto them, including dialogue. And to me, that takes away from what's going on in front of you with the live actors. Yeah, and it's mostly filler, right? Like, they had to throw this show together in... in three weeks. And so most of that is just padding the runtime with extended clips from the movie, which are also... Well, I want to ask you this, uh, ask you about this, Derek, because to me, I saw the Jungle Book movie first, and then I went and saw Alive with Magic, and I thought it seemed very spoiler-filled. But Derek, you saw the show first before you saw the movie, but you've now seen the movie, right? So I have. did you feel that it spoiled it for you? Uh, it didn't spoil it for me, because you had kind of warned me that it was spoilery, so every time they show the clip, I just kind of zoned out a little bit. Yeah. But there was something that happens near the end of the Jungle Book movie that the minute they said the line, I was like, oh, that's in The Jungle Book Alive with Magic. And so I and it like I guess I had subconsciously heard it, but I didn't really know what it meant. And then when they said it in the movie, I was like, oh, wow, that really does kind of spoil a plot point if I had been thinking about what I was hearing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd agree. It, it's a little spoilery. But, like, they just don't need the scenes because it's like you're, you're kind of enjoying... Because here, here's what's good about it. So they have a ton of cast members in this thing. Like, it's, I don't know, maybe 100 people in the cast, maybe more. It's just a lot of people. They have some live musicians. I'm, I'm not totally sure what instruments they were playing. Like a sitar? Could be. And a few other things. And they were great. Um, the choreography was really cool. Like, they had some things where they, like, they tap sticks to each, with each other. But, like, <laughs> this sounds so, like... <laughs> But, like, they tap sticks together, and then, like, they'll turn and tap sticks with the person beside them, and it's really fast-paced. The costumes are good. The cast members give it their all. Like, the singers were pretty good. They sang Trust in Me, I Want to Be Like You, and Bare Necessities. I think that was it. Yeah. Um, And this this, uh, this stadium-type thing that you're in is just gorgeous. The lighting is really pretty. The bleachers themselves are pretty. It really blends in with the Animal Kingdom earthiness. Um, so there's a lot of things to love. I, it's just hard to say because this feels like the answer to Festival of the Lion King, which is a show in a pretty small theater. It happens throughout the day. Like, it's nothing you're going to, you know, take break off an hour and a half, set aside an hour and a half to go see. It's just like a thing to do in the day to cool off. This feels like it should be that, but in Asia. Like, you go to a theater, you watch this 25-minute show, and then you go on with the rest of your day. 
but it's not. It's the nighttime show at Animal Kingdom. And I don't know if it deserves that status. Yeah, because that's what most people have in mind when they're showing up, right? That this is Animal Kingdom's Phantasmic. And it's so not Animal Kingdom's Phantasmic. No. But yeah, it's not like I love that that rhythm that the whole like entry because there's this sort of procession of, of, of cast members entering the theater and it's all very musical and, and rhythmic. It's like it's that dun, 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 you know, and that is like very alluring and it's kind of in your head for the rest of the evening. So that that part of it is all great. Uh, and I'm hoping that when Rivers of Light arrives, that it's just like that the whole time. Yeah, one thing I, I asked you while we were there is like, I wonder if some of this choreography was actually going to be part of Rivers of Light and they just kind of meshed it with Jungle Book because there's a lot of choreography in this thing that they had to memorize. So, oh, yeah. So it feels like maybe some of it was already there. That seems very possible. My favorite part was the live drummers. So they have these guys, there are maybe four or five floats um, that spread from one end of the bleachers to the other so that way you're always seeing something in front of you. And they have these live drummers who just boom, 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 boom. And they they drum to a beat like they're all in rhythm together. And I think they are awesome. Like, I have so much respect for people who can do that type of thing. So that was my favorite part. And maybe I'm hyping it too much because I had such low expectations. I don't know. It's hard to say. I think my... T- oh, gosh. I'm trying to decide if people should see it or not. Well, they should. But they should go in with the low expectations that you had. <laughs> but see, But see, you say that, but like... In my mind, I thought, man, this park is open till 11. That's so much time to do all the stuff we want to do. But really, it doesn't get dark until like 9 at the earliest. Yeah, during summer, yeah. Yeah, we had to set aside about 45 minutes for this show. So by the time it was over, you know, that's only an hour and 15 minutes to do everything else in the park at night that you want to do. So like... If, if your priority is seeing the parties and riding the safaris and watching the Tree of Life Awakening and then riding Everest at night, you may just want to cut out the show, you know? Yeah. And if you thought Animal Kingdom was humid during the summer, oh. try sitting on the water at Animal Kingdom during the summer. That I was, was dying. Yeah. I was dying. We were both just like, water. Should we get water? We should get water. <laughs> I know. I tried to wipe grease off my head with, like, my arm, but my arm was so greasy that it was just, like, smeary. Like, it was nasty. Yeah. We'll leave that little image for you. <laughs> uh, but that's the Jungle Book. I mean, just judge it based on what we said, whether or not you want to go. Um, but there you go. Okay, so the safaris are a thing <laughs> that happened. <laughs> In Animal Kingdom, you d- you just don't see a lot. I mean, he literally said, "Do you see that shadow over there?" <laughs> like, I think that's an animal. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I, I see it. <laughs> I see the shadow. Um, for me, the best part was the sunset. They they've hyped up this eternal sunset, and I guess they use like spotlights. And I I don't know what would you say they use for this. Yeah. So. Well, it's hard to talk about it without giving spoilers, but there, I guess there's sort of like the moment that is the eternal sunset, and then there is the eternal sunset that spreads throughout the entire attraction. And and the rest of it is, I think, yeah, just spotlights. But I, I think that part of it is the, sh- the strength. Like, it, I think that's pretty impressively conveyed for the most part. But that is really all that you're going to see. That and then just, I think, the thrill of being outdoors in an attraction at night that you used to not be able to access at night. But... 
you are not going to see many animals. They aren't, there aren't even very many that are out at night and the ones that are there are hard to see. But my favorite part of this is the downplaying of expectations yeah. <laughs> that, that your driver does at the beginning. <laughs> That's been like written into the show. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like they're surprised when they see an animal. They're like, <laughs> we've got a treat for you. On this safari, there's actually an animal to see. Yeah. And to try to compensate for this, Disney has uh, recorded some like <laughs> new animal sounds that are piped in, oh. not at all convincingly. <laughs> the people behind us were like, yeah, that's a speaker. That's a speaker. <laughs> <laughs> do, uh, do they still play my favorite song at night? No. It is uh, very you, it is very quiet the entire attraction. Did you ride at dusk e or like dark? It was dark cuz it was after yeah. the jungle book. It was like 10 o'clock. Cuz a couple of videos I've watched of like dusky rides it is there 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 are lots of animals like becoming active and you can hmm. see them. I mean, we saw animals. Like like I said, he would say see the shadow and you could kind of make out like okay, that's a lion up there on top of the rock. And I told Aaron, it's kind of cool even if you don't necessarily see them in action. It is kind of cool being like, wow, I'm in this animal's natural environment at a time of day when I never see them. You know what I mean? Like just just seeing what they do after dark cuz you I've never seen that. So just doing that was kind of cool. And the eternal sunset alone was worth it. I really did think they did a good job with this. I could see how someone might say it's cheesy. Um, I didn't, I, I, I did kind of have that, wow, that's, that's actually kind of cool moment. Um, but yeah, don't, don't expect to get the same experience you're going to get during the day. Yeah. I would not want this to be anyone's first time riding this attraction. Mm -hmm. So true. Um, so we rode Everest a few times to close out the night. In fact, they kept letting us get back in line even after the park had closed. Um, but wow. Talk about, I mean, we always talk about how big thunder mountain railroad is better at night. I, I think that's definitely true of Everest as well. Uh, just like when you come over that hill and you see all of Animal Kingdom, except this time you see it lit up like the popcorn lights in Asia and you see the show going on on the river there, the Jungle Book show. Like it's just beautiful. Um, so oh, yeah. definitely worth riding at night. And then to close out the night, unfortunately, we didn't really have time to see the Tree of Life Awakening. We caught... The last 60 seconds, probably, of one of the shows. You said they have four shows, right? Four shows, yeah. Okay, so explain the ones you've seen, then. I mean, as much as you want to without giving away spoilers. Right, yeah, so I won't say too much. But first of all, there are projections going on continuously on the Tree of Life throughout the evening. But at sporadic times, and and they don't happen at even intervals, and you don't know when they're going to happen, uh, the projections sort of turn into a show and the show will last uh, you know two three four minutes uh and they're just these little vignettes these almost like animated shorts uh, of, of animals interacting with each other one of them has a disney theme and the others are just sort of more like animal kingdom themed uh but they're very cool and it is almost as if the tree of life disappears uh, behind the imagery except for when they want to capitalize on one of those carved animals and then it's as if that carved animal comes back into view and comes to life and then moves uh i mean I- i've always thought that projection mapping you it did not work very well in the magic of memories in you it works pretty well in celebrate the magic but this is like a whole step forward uh and the tree of life makes a very convincing canvas for that yeah i only saw about a minute like i said but I think just based on that minute, this would have been my favorite thing of all the nighttime experiences. Because man, like I said before, with the great or with the Star Wars fireworks, they've really projected this whole projection 
no, did I say projected? They've perfected this projection mapping thing. Um, and I would love to see a show from start to finish because it looks good. It looks yeah. really good. So that is the downside is if you want to see even one of these and particularly like multiple or all of them, then you will do a lot of standing around and waiting with like uncertainty uh, as to when the next one will begin. But I think it's worth it. For sure. Um, okay, so that brings us to our last park where the most new things debuted. Um, and this is Epcot. So so like in World Showcase, they've opened an exhibit in China where you can see a lot of the attractions that are coming to Shanghai. And now, Aaron, you were, you were at D23 and you mentioned that it's mostly the same stuff they had there. Is that right? I think so. That's what our friend Ruben was telling us. At D23, I only got to just sort of hop into that Shanghai Expo because I was so pressed for time. But I did recognize it seemed like some of the same props and exhibits um, that are now in Epcot. Gotcha. Um, so if you're in the China Pavilion, go check that out. Um, so over in Canada, Matt got to see a little bit of this. I forget what they're <laughs> called. In in Arus? In, in Arus or something like that? The bag people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is what I will call them from now on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they literally came out with bags on their heads. Paper sacks. Wait, 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 wait. What? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So in the long line of wonderful shows like the Lumberjacks and uh, what was that band? Off-Kilter. Off-Kilter, yes. That band, excuse you? (laughs) Oh, were you a fan? No, but there are people that are. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) It's a thing. I'm so sorry to offend. So now they have... They're calling themselves like some sort of acrobatic musical comedy show. They are the Les Parfait Circus Troupe. Oh, I was way off. <laughs> I don't know where I got that. But uh, anyway, Les Parfait. And we saw about a minute of the show. And then like the speaker came on saying, due to inclement weather, this show has been canceled. And the actors looked just as surprised as we were. They were like, oh, man. <laughs> And then they left, and then it didn't rain a single drop. But <laughs> they came out with paper sacks on their heads. They called some guy to the front. Like, they were climbing and playing instruments. It was strange. Wait, wait, why were there paper bags on their head? That's an excellent question. <laughs> they took them off eventually. Were there things written on these paper bags? No, they are like eye holes cut into them. Right? Or where or, yeah, no. or eyes were drawn, one or the other. One one of the two. I never thought I'd say this, but bring back the lumberjacks. Goodness <laughs> gracious. They were cut because the one was playing his clarinet through his paper bag. That's right, yeah. And that was all very literal. <laughs> very literal. Very I heard literal. you. I heard you. <laughs> anyway, maybe it's maybe it gets really good after those first two minutes. I don't know, but I don't know if I would have stood much longer even if it hadn't been canceled. It was bizarre. I, I just, uh, I want to know who's in charge of finding these acts. for Canada. Epcot. Martin Short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not my Martin. He would do better. No, he watches this online. He's like, what are they doing to my country? Anyway, okay, but let's get to the good stuff. Okay, so Friday morning, Soarin' Around the World debuted. And Soarin' already has super long lines. You guys know this. So I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, the park opens at 9. I'm going to get there between 8.15 and 8.30, and I'm just going to wait for four hours. I'm just going to do it. It's fine. Like, it, it's in air-conditioned at least, and I really want to do this on opening day. 
Well, I'm telling you, you can work that FastPass system. If you don't see the FastPass you want, you just go to the previous screen and keep trying. I can't promise it'll always work, but it worked for me. So I kept trying and trying, and all of a sudden, there they were, 9.30 FastPasses for Soaring Around the World. So booked them. I still got there early because it was actually after I arrived. Uh, but we go in. This place is packed. I mean, shocker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the land pavilion. So, like, there's a giant crowd of people, maybe four or five people wide, that form a line all the way from when you first walk in and around to the right and then down those escalators and then all the way around Sunshine Seasons and then ending up at the entrance to the queue. I assume that was standby. It had to have been. Yeah, it was. Okay. So we were like, well, you know, <clears throat> we have fast passes, so, like, where should we go? <laughs> and then, so, a cast member took us downstairs, and we just kind of waited until our started, and went, I mean, we had a theater to ourselves, I'm pretty, like, we, we didn't even have to wait. They walked us straight to the third theater on the left, and we were, the, we were basically the first ones there, and so, and we got the best seats, too, I'm pretty sure. We were in the very center and on the very top, so, like, we yep. didn't see anyone's feet. So, we got the hookup on this ride, I'm just saying. Yeah, the real story here is that Derek is an MDX wizard. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. Um, but no, it's just you just learn these things after a while, I guess. Um, and I'm kind of obsessed with checking. Like, I know you got, you guys don't, like Aaron, you guys don't necessarily use FastPass all that often, right? No, I spend most of my time grumbling about it and not actually using it. Yeah, um, but I'm here to tell you that if you work it right, it can come in super handy. Did you ever hear what the wait time ended up being that morning? Actually, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I want to say we were was... too busy writing it. <laughs> <laughs> we did write it twice that weekend. Yeah, I want to say it was like two hundred and ten or something like that at its that highest sounds point. Right. Um, but on Saturday, the very next day, like people were tweeting, "Hey, look, thirty minutes for Soren." So again, I think it goes back to the Toy Story thing. I think this third screen, this third track thing, I think it's making a difference. And I also think they probably gave away fewer fast passes because they didn't really know, like, okay, now that we have three screens, how many fast passes can we give away without it completely backing up the standby line? So maybe they didn't give away that many fast passes and maybe that's why the line was moving quickly. I don't know. But whatever they're doing is helping. For sure. Yeah. Okay, so Jeremy, did you see my tweet about Patrick Warburton? Yes, yes. Okay. Like, he tweeted the night before, like, goodbye, and everybody was like, aw, and then he's there. Yeah, Aaron, tell me, tell us your theory on that. Oh, yeah, I mean, if this is what you're talking about, I think that Patrick Warburton probably saw that the Shanghai pre-show was different, right, and knew that it was also that this new version of Soren was being incorporated in the U.S. parks and probably just assumed that he was being cut out. And so he tweeted that. And I, I'm sure Disney isn't sending him minute by minute updates. Like here's your current <laughs> status uh, you know, in Epcot or whatever. So yeah, I think it was probably, you know, he didn't know. And so he just yeah. tweeted that out and everyone assumed he wouldn't be there. And then surprise, surprise, pleasant surprise. The next day he still was. Yeah. He did. He did tweet something like something to say, like he didn't know. Cause I think people were accusing him of like showing up at his own funeral kind of a thing. Uh, and he was like, no, I really didn't know. I swear. I really thought it was not going to be in it. <laughs> yeah. I would hope that if they ever do film a new pre-show, cause it's, I mean, it's exactly the same. They didn't even redo it. They would still use him. But I, I don't know. I can't be sure. Or, like, at least incorporate him in some way. Like, let him be the guy wearing the Mickey ears. Ah, uh, yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. 
but no, they, they didn't even put that much effort into it. They just left it the same. Uh, they do have that nice uh, little video before the pre-show, like while you're waiting for the pre-show, that it's like a, it's one of those like interactive maps where you see the plane fly from one area, kind of like they do on The yeah. Amazing Race, you know, they, they draw the line from one place to another, and it shows you all the locations you're about to go to. So. That is much better than the cities in the clouds that they had before. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it has spoilers, obviously, so don't watch if you don't want to know where you're going. But Well, that's true. But, Jeremy, I was going to say you called me out with the Patrick Warburton thing. because. <laughs> <laughs> so Derek and I were, were writing Dinosaur, and I had not been looking at Twitter. So I we were just watching this Felicia Rashad pre-show, which I love. I think I mentioned that last time I was on the show. So I tweeted something about her being the best Disney pre-show host, but apparently I tweeted that like right after Patrick Warburton had just <laughs> told the world that he was leaving Soren. So Jeremy called out, called me out on my terrible timing, and then I felt I was terrible. like inappropriate Trump way to draw <laughs> the attention away. Yeah, no, I was really mortified. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so how much do you guys want to know about the actual movie? I want to know about the Eiffel Tower because you tweeted something about it and I didn't get the gif or jif or however you say it. Oh, okay. I'll just skip ahead to that scene and then we'll come back. So the Eiffel Tower looks crooked when you ride it. And now, Aaron, you showed me a tweet where someone had said that they do use quite a bit of CGI. And a couple of times, I'm not going to lie, it's very obviously computer generated. Oh, yeah. Like the Taj Mahal, I'm like, I don't even think they went to the Taj Mahal. I think someone just sketched <laughs> that and then put it in front of you on the screen. But uh, when you get to the... So so someone had pointed out that what they probably did was they, they probably did not use a fisheye lens because it's a lot easier to do computer-generated images when you're not using that type of lens. Or it's a lot easier to incorporate gen- computer-generated images into that type of thing. Well, the screen itself is curved. So you kind of need to use a fisheye lens to adjust for the curvature of the screen. Like, I'm, I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about, but th- this is just what I assume based on that tweet we saw. And so when you don't use a camera that adjusts for that, then everything's going to kind of look curved. So the Eiffel Tower, like, goes up and up and then starts slowly curving to the left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that was all just this person's speculation on Twitter, but it it does make sense. Uh, But I think it's only problematic, really, with the Eiffel Tower scene and to some extent the pyramids. But even then, I I still think you walk away thinking like, wow, that scene was beautiful, despite the fact that the Eiffel Tower like takes a turn to the left. (laughs) 100%. In fact, I think the Eiffel Tower is probably my favorite scene because it's at night and it's just like a wow, beautiful moment. And you definitely notice that it's crooked, but it doesn't take away from it, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, y'all, I love Soaring Around the World. I really did. I think I liked it even more the second time. Like, yeah, the transitions, they're, they're you know the golf ball from the first mm-hmm. one? You're talking about Spaceship Earth? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Spaceship Earth. No, so it could almost be construed as, like, gimmicky, because, like, oh, it's coming at us. Like, they do that a lot in the new one. I don't care. I like it. I like that. I think some people would probably hate that. I like it. I think the the music, it's the same score, but they've incorporated like Chinese elements when you're in the Great Wall of China and like tropical elements when you're over the ocean. I think the score is great, maybe even better now. Um, I just love it a lot. Is there smell elements? Yes. Do you want to know mm-hmm. what they are? Yes, I do. Okay. You're going to have to help me, Aaron. I, I know at one point you, you fly over the savannah 
and you smell like grass, kind of like a freshly cut grass. Oh, that could go really bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said. I was like, I'm so glad it's not elephant dung. Yeah. Um, in fact, I said, this is not what the savannah <laughs> smells like. <laughs> I've been to Animal Kingdom. Um, when you fly over the ocean, you get just kind of like a... Ocean breeze. Yeah, kind of like a bath scent. and body works, basically. Yeah. <laughs> o- ocean Hawaiian smell. It's a good way that's of putting nice. it. That's nice. Yeah. Um... Uh, there's another one. Oh, when you fly over the Taj Mahal, you get like a jasmine type of scent. Yeah. I don't think any of the scents are as um, like distinguished as the scents of the previous version of the ride. You mean where you get orange in the first five seconds and then you just smell orange the entire rest of the attraction? <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. like that, no. Um, okay, do you want to know about the finale? Like, I feel, This is a really big spoiler. Yes, because I already know it, but go okay, ahead. Okay, this is a really... So listeners, if you don't want to know... Turn this off. I think this was announced, though, right? Like, this was in the, the, the press material at the time? I think so. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. Well, if you haven't read the press material and you don't want really to be spoiled, I seriously got so happy when it ended at Epcot. Like, I was seriously, like, like my heart grew three sizes. I was like, it's Epcot. <laughs> it's not Disneyland where I love Disneyland, but, like, I'm in Epcot. Why would I want to end in Disneyland? And it's just a great, great moment. You see the fireworks over Spaceship Earth and... I just wanted to clap. I think I probably did. You were that person. <laughs> He's also the same person who claps when the airplane lands and when he flies. Yeah. We did it. We did it. <laughs> anyway, I just yeah, I that's really great. like this. And you know I never really loved Soren the original, but I think they did a great job with this. They really did. Good. They made a believer out of you. That's great. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that I wrote it twice and one of those times was in standby, like that says something. Hey, speaking of standby, did you ever find out, Aaron, what that game is? Well, so you know, the second day that we went back, the game was turned off. And we're talking about the game in the Soaring Queue where you used to kind of like wave your hands with the infrared technology, right? And and the screen would correspond with what, you, with what the group was doing. So th- there was like a new version of that, I think, running the first day when we were doing FastPass, right? But when we went yeah. back... It was just clouds on screens and no sort of interactivity at all. So it was very peaceful. I actually preferred that to, to any kind of game. But from everything that I, everyone who I have spoken to who has waited standby, which isn't that many people, uh, they have said the same thing since then. So I don't know if that's just been disabled uh, or if it has been running intermittently and just the people I've spoken with haven't been there when it was running. So I don't know. Okay. Well, they had screens saying, hey, text this to number something, something, something. And I guess your score might be listed you know i I don't really know it was was kind of hard to see because you know we were just breezing by in that fast pass line but uh, (laughs) what a jerk yeah but but then in standby we only waited like 25 minutes so i don't even know if there would have been time to play something like that yeah anyway but they have updated it in some form okay so then right after we rode soren that morning we walked over to world showcase because i really really wanted the soft opening for frozen ever after and I had promised I had promised you that it was going to happen. <clears throat> I remember. I remember that promise. <laughs> it, it was like Thursday or Wednesday with Matt, and he's like, When does it open? And I said it opens Tuesday. Oh, there's no way they're not gonna have a soft opening by Saturday. Well, there is a way. And so Friday we went over over there after Soren and we did ask and he said they're having some issues with it. I really doubt it'll open today or tomorrow. Um, and he was right. Like they didn't even take the walls down by the time I left on Saturday, but 
we we saw some movement over there at like 10 a.m. And, you know, World Showcase usually opens at 11. And so we're like, oh, something's happening. So we walk through Mexico, which is open. Like the Grand Fiesta Tour is running and everything. And sure enough, the walls have come down around Royal Summer House, the, uh, the Anna, Anna and Elsa meet and greet, basically. And she's like, do you want to meet Anna and Elsa? And I'm like, well, sure. I mean, if this is a brand new building, we had to have been two of the first people in there. Oh, yeah. I think there were like two groups before us and they had just opened. Yeah. So it, it was it was kind of bizarre because this queue was empty. So we were taking pictures left and right. You know, as you know, we got a picture of that. Um, so this queue is is actually really good. I say actually because so far everything frozen has not been really good, but it seamlessly fits with the rest of Norway. It's beautiful. Um, it's got my favorite earth tones, you know, blues and browns. And you, you see like a fireplace like this is where Anna and Elsa live in the summer. Like that's the whole idea. They come to Norway to their summer house. And the best moment is this tapestry that has a nod to the trolls that were in Maelstrom who say disappear, mm. disappear. Yes. And like the minute we saw it, we were, oh, or at least I was freaking out. I don't really know, Aaron, if you were. <laughs> Internally, I was. Okay, good. Because I was like, look, look at the tapestry. It's amazing. <laughs> I love the dynamic of your two's friendship because in Derek has become me and Aaron has become <laughs> Derek. It's a really weird dynamic. Interesting. Okay, when I say freak out. Okay, don't qualify <laughs> it now. Gosh. <laughs> don't don't say I am you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Derek did want to wear Mickey ears. <laughs> yeah, well, he, oh, he did, did that in Disneyland and it freaked me out. I know. Just because I, I did not expect him to do that. But anyway. To be but. fair, I only wanted to wear Star Wars ears during the Star Wars fireworks. After that, I was like, eh, it's done. It's over. The moment has passed. Um, anyway, so we met Anna and Elsa. We, we did kind of joke because I said, Arendelle's a lot warmer than I expected. <laughs> Instantly. I mean, her training came <laughs> back to her. She said, oh, this is not Arendelle. This is Norway. <laughs> It was amazing. But, and then we turned around and we see like the, the, the fake Arendelle, like through their little fake window, but you can see Arendelle from here. It's like, (laughs) it's like when you're in high school and you didn't study, but you just like recall that one section of notes (laughs) and you get the test and boom, essay question is over that. And you're just like, yes, I got it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like the urgency with which she corrected. (laughs) That's what was so great about it, because we were the third group there, but I'm sure we were the first to assert that we were in Arendelle, and she was all over that. Like, yeah. they had her ready. Like, I'm just picturing, like, the security guard in the corner, like, walking forward, and she's like, no, no, I got this. I got this. This is Norway. But it was funny. As she pointed to the window, and you said, you can see Arendelle from here, my first thought was Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin, yep. <laughs> and you can see Russia from my home. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. But it's it's a it honestly is a great meet and greet. I mean, yeah, they took up a ton of real estate for one meet and greet that opens up to a gift shop that is 100% frozen merchandise. So I can see where it's like, man, that could have been another country. Like you took up a lot of space, but they've really utilized they they've utilized that space well, in my opinion. I think so. I think the the whole area is very nice. It's I mean, while I probably would have preferred a different pavilion to go in that empty lot, but. Uh, <laughs> It's very nicely done. Better than I would have um, expected it to be. Yeah. I mean, I probably won't go in there again <laughs> because all you do is meet Anna and Elsa. But there you go. 
Okay, so let's finish with something that I didn't get to experience, but Mr. Quoted in Orlando Sentinel did get to experience. <laughs> Tell us yeah. about the opening day of Frozen Ever After. Yeah, so first of all, I think I told you, Derek, that I probably wasn't even going to try to go to Frozen Ever After's opening day. Uh, well, you I just don't tell a lot of lies, Aaron, so. <laughs> That's very true. Now, I, everything about Frozen Ever After was just like a web of deceit. Uh, but no, I, so I woke <laughs> up that morning and I don't know, I texted my friend. I was like, do you want to go? Let's just let's just go see like what the scene is like. So we got there and I figured the line might be two hours and we got there pretty much at opening. So I was like, all right, probably like a two hour wait. If it's that, I'll do it. We show up. And already by the time we walk back there, the line has reached the China Pavilion, the back of the China Pavilion, in fact, like almost getting to uh, the African outpost. And it was a posted three hour wait. But the cast members were like, well, it might not actually be three hours in early this. We're like, well, okay, let's let's just get in and see. Like, no real sense of commitment for waiting even three hours. But we get in, and like it's moving along pretty nicely, and it's like, and there's a nice breeze, and we start talking with the people around us in line and and whatever. So that was all fine and all of a sudden an hour had gone by and we're still in china but we're like closer to the actual entrance of the china pavilion and then it just came to a grinding halt and so what happened for the rest of the morning was this series of the ride breaking down and then opening again and then breaking down again and us getting further and further sucked into this tar baby right where like we had invested so much time in line that it became harder and harder to justify leaving the line uh, but really, we were having a good time. So, anyways, I'm sorry. Did you just reference Song of the South right there? <laughs> yeah, the literal, the literal Tar Baby, which okay. is often overlooked in the accusations made against Song of the South. And that's very that's a nice. Podcast for another topic. <laughs> but uh, or a topic for another podcast. Right, but anyways, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when all when when all is said and done, we waited a full like on the dot six hours to get on this ride. Oh. My gosh, I'm starting to understand why it didn't soft open on Saturday. Yeah, uh, but I will say I, I was surprised to learn that it had been six hours. I mean, I would have guessed like three or three and a half or something. It just it really did go by very quickly. <laughs> it was it, like five hours, forty five minutes at the most. That's a lot of heads up on your phone. I'm just throwing that <laughs> out there. <laughs> well, okay, so you know the entire like blogging community was there, right? Like everybody was there that day, and so we're in line. And so these people were stopping by, like every. 10, 15 minutes, somebody would stop by. And so I was talking with them and all these things made the, the wait go by very quickly. And Disney was very good about bringing water and ice cream out, uh, free ice cream to the to the lines. They did that like every, I don't know, every hour. So it, it really was not a, a terrible ordeal. It sounds pretty miserable to me, but... Uh... <laughs> but listen, yeah, well, based on the photos I saw of the attraction itself, I would have waited that long. Yeah, I don't. I don't regret waiting. I think I was sort of live tweeting the experience, and I think it was shot in Florida for everyone else because it was just a lot of like people like judging and laughing that I was waiting in this long line and they weren't. But that's okay. But yeah, the Orlando Sentinel, weirdly enough, ended up covering the fact that I waited six hours. I guess no one else waited that long. I don't know. Um, I'm sorry. They brought out ice cream, and uh, what other treats did they bring out? Did they? It was just ice cream, and it was the it was the same ice cream every time. So, like, like I had the first one, and then after that, it's like, well, I don't, I don't really want the same ice cream bar again. So I'll pass. But thank you. I would have been like, can y'all bring, wheel out some school bread or something? <laughs> yeah, really I did celebrate with school bread afterward. Well, does obvious choice. <laughs> um, it sounds like Disney after hours, where it's like, hey, free ice cream. Okay, I only want one Mickey bar. Thank you. I don't, I don't need seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
but the attraction itself, okay, so my comment upon, and I'm, I won't uh, give any spoilers, but my comment upon leaving the ride was that I give the technology five Elsas, uh, the storytelling five Olafs, and the representation of Norwegian culture five Hans. Wow. That's out of five? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I, wow. I, was, I was wondering the same thing. I was like, well, where's the, what are we gauging this on? Because <laughs> if it's out of 100, then that's not good. And to me, five Olafs is like a nightmare, kind of. So I don't. Well, and yeah, that's basically what it like. Like silly storytelling, uh, and yeah, absolutely no even like hint at, at Norwegian culture whatsoever. Like not even the slightest effort made to to you know, bridge that gap. But the Imagineering, like the technology, the aesthetic, is very again wowing. Uh, just a lot of really incredible moments inside. So I think it's like it's a little a bit at least of a step forward uh, in terms of like in-ride aesthetics, but it's at least one whole step backward for World Showcase and and that goal of like educating people about the world they live in. I watched the uh, ride-through video, and <laughs> I I got to say I enjoyed it, but I think I need to see it in person because the way – People were raving about it and not people who just blow smoke because they think that's what they have to do. Um, they were really impressed by it. And, and I thought it was good. I just didn't see – I wasn't blown away. So maybe it's just in person. You get a I different feel. that everyone should go back and listen to episode one of our podcast. Oh. Because on that show, I'm pretty sure I nailed – what they ended up doing as far as the loading, unloading to maximize the ride time. Hmm. What'd they do? Yeah. They condensed the loading and the unloading to one spot, and it's where the unloading used to be. So when you got out of the boat to go to the theater, that little outdoor village, that's where the loading and unloading is now. And so half of that where you used to turn the corner to come into the village, but you were still there at the exit. They've enclosed that for that last scene. Spoiler alert. The last scene with uh, Anna and Elsa holding hands, singing to Olaf or whatever. <laughs> that sounds like a joke, but that is legit, the last scene. <laughs> <laughs> and then the beginning of the ride, uh, as soon as you turn the corner, um, you enter into the previous loading zone, and actually previously unused area in the loading zone is kind of the opening scenes. So they've maximized the 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 ride time upping it for by at least a minute and a half just by by doing those things well and it's yeah. a very short ride to begin with and that was my other thing there's not really much it's not like the other dark rides where they're telling the story of the of the movie i feel like it's just kind of like a hodgepodge of the songs yeah oh the some folks were reviewing it in a positive light because of that well, that could be true. I, it's I not was just a, here's the story. Yeah. I was impressed by the, I like the Elsa let it go scene. I think they did a great job still using, again, spoilers if you don't want to hear this, but um, still doing the backwards, uh, you know, scene that they, from Maelstrom, but using mm-hmm. that as the let it go part. I thought that was very fitting. I, I don't know, because that's kind of the climactic part of the ride and that's also, I think, the climactic part of the movie. Yeah. She says, disappear, disappear. <laughs> disappear. <laughs> that would be awesome. great. You know, I really don't like Olaf. Like, I really I really don't like Olaf. But uh, that there's the one scene where he's kind of singing 
a, like a desk cant to them singing the first time in forever. And he sings this little, I don't really know this song. <laughs> That's funny. I did laugh out loud the first time watching that. And and I was impressed with the uh, animatronic of Olaf there that oh kind of walks with you. He looks really yeah. good. He it's like, it's like he's ice skating. Like it's so fluid. Just yeah. from videos, of course. But for me, the wow was like the cue. Like you walk in and yeah. again, just from pictures, but it, that doesn't even feel like the Norway pavilion that I remember. Mm-hmm. Totally different. Yeah, no, they yeah. they did well. Yeah, it looks it looks really great. That entire queue, and particularly the loading area, it's very impressive. Uh, it has that same uh, you know manufactured outdoor setting that they have in, in Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, but I think it's the best that they've ever managed to achieve that, which is saying a lot because it's very well achieved in Pirates of the Caribbean. But it's really really impressive what they've done there. There. About how long do you think the line has to get before it goes outside? So. Assuming that uh, the ride is running normally and the indoor queue is full, it takes one hour from the time you enter the building to the time you board. Okay. That's, that's pretty good then. Because I would hate for it to be like 15 minutes. Oh, crap. We have to be outside for an hour and a half. Right. You know? So that's good. Yeah. Once the initial craziness dies down, I, I don't think it'll be a bad experience at all. Good. All right, well, we look forward to reviewing that in person very soon, hopefully. Um, but I think that's it for the new stuff, and that was a lot. But that's just a, a reflection of how much Disney has opened for summer 2016. So, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Remind our listeners where they can find you online if they want to follow you. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Aaron's Pod. Uh, you can find my website and my podcast, which is Zippity Doo Pod, at AaronWallaceOnline.com or the iTunes Music Store. And you can find my book, uh, The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom, uh, in bookstores uh, or at Amazon.com. There you go. And you can always find us online on Twitter at Mad Chatters, on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send your emails to comments at madchatters.net. That does it for this week. We'll see you next time. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Bye-bye now. Thanks, guys. Bye.